listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. We are just excited because really this week that just happened, high school camp kicks off our summer year after year. And this year to have 163 students, high school students from Northside go to camp, 40 volunteers uh, kicking it off. There were, there were nearly 300 people at camp this week at Maranatha during this high school session. There were 13 baptisms during the week of camp. I think at least seven of those were from Northside. I know there's going to be six today. And to see our college life students serving at camp, to see so many of our own volunteers and leaders from Northside serving at camp. I I just want to take a moment and thank those who served and invested into our students all week long. Can we just thank them for going? They're in this room and they'll be here next service too. Thank you. We are just so grateful for what God does year after year through Maranatha Bible Camp. And so some exciting stuff that's happening right now. And I know we got, we're kind of taking a break this week, but then the week after that, we'll be sending our fifth through sixth graders out and, and all of our younger ages will be heading to camp. So I'm excited about that. But today, here's what I want to do. Uh, two weeks ago, I gave a message on hope in the face of grief. And it really just focused on how to go through grief when you've experienced a loss. And I knew when we talked about that topic back when we were doing our preaching planning, probably even, you know, six months prior to that, that there was no way we were going to be able to talk about grief in, in a, one message on a Sunday morning. And so we, we planned from that moment that we would have a two-part deal to grief. And two weeks ago, we just talked about that you got to choose to go through grief and not avoid it because so many people either suppress it or repress grief. And whenever that happens, it's unhealthy. If you don't let grief come out in healthy ways, it's going to come out in very unhealthy ways. And we just looked at the importance that we see in scripture of lamenting grief. Psalm chapter 13 was our primary text. And we looked at how lament means that you complain to God. You're not complaining about God. And how the difference is significant and how important it is. And we use this acrostic called care to look at how to lament. And and I just invited people to lament grief. After that message, Janet Price, she's a member here at Northside. She wrote a poem. She wrote her own lament because she lost her husband, Lawrence, last year. He passed away on February 12th of 2022. He was 85 years old. They've been married for 60 years. And she just sent me her lament, her poem. And I I just want to read it to you. She said, nothing has ever hurt as much as grief. It reaches deep within my soul beyond belief. One moment my world was fine and the next there's a big hole. And I feel like I've completely lost control. How can I go on living when he's not here? How can I get through another day when he's not near? To be wrapped in his embrace and to feel his tender touch. Oh, how I miss him so very, very much. My tears flow both day and night. Can anything ever again be all right? No, nothing has ever hurt as much as grief. Grief will do that to you. It will leave you asking the question, will anything ever again 
be all right when everything feels so wrong. John Amuchekwa is the former pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta. It was a church he planted. He is the author of a book called We Go On. He's been speaking and writing openly and honestly about his own grief after losing his dear brother in 2015. And, and grief hit him in ways that were completely unexpected for him. He had his own struggle and crisis with grief. A couple of weeks ago when Alan Tiger knew I was preparing this message, he just happened to come across, I think it was on, on Instagram, he came across this, these posts from John and he's really come out to try to help people through their grief. And Alan shared it with me, thought it could be helpful. And it has been. I, in fact, I, I looked at those posts. I, I, w- I went to YouTube and saw some, some open and raw and honest episodes that John aired. John said since 2015, he said, grief sat on my shoulders and wouldn't get off. He said, at the lowest point in my life, processing the death of my brother, I felt the loneliest. To date, it was the greatest tragedy I've walked through. He said, still walking. I thought it would end me. It didn't. The tragic ending of my brother's life was a new beginning. He said, usually water on the windshield obscures your vision, but my tears actually helped me see clearer than ever before. Tragedy wasn't the end I imagined. It can pave a way to new beginnings. Tragedy doesn't ruin us. Hopelessness does. He said, I had a suspicion that if I shared the depths of my story, I'd find other people who were low and lonely, screaming into the pillows of neglect and despair, hoping to silence their grief. I just wanted someone else who felt like life was over to know that it wasn't. I found a lot of what John had to say to be helpful. Because just as John had gone through his own grief and now is wanting to help other people in their grief, I know for a fact that each and every one of you too want to help people through grief. Whether you've been through significant grief or not yet, you want to help people through grief. And part of that is motivated by compassion that we just have for people, and that's a good motivation. But there's even another motivation, and it's disciple-making. That when we're disciple-making, oftentimes that means we enter into people's pain. We enter into lostness and brokenness. And one of the places where people feel the most pain is in grief, when they've experienced a loss in their life. And today I really want to expand on what I talked about two weeks ago, but I also want to do it more from this point of view of how do we help people who are in the depths of grief and loss? How do we help them through it? And we're going to look at scripture today, and and I'll mention a few of them here in a moment. And typically, we have scripture at the beginning of the sermon as we walk through it today. I just want you to know it's coming at the end, so we're going to get there. But I'm kind of asking a question today. If we're going to help people through grief, how are we going to do it? What's going to happen as we grow in our understanding of grief? And here's some things that I think are really important for us to know, to grow in our own understanding if we're going to help people through grief. And the first one is this, is is that the goal, the goal is not to finish grief. It's to move forward through grief. The goal is not to finish grief, it's to move forward through grief. If you've ever been through a significant loss yourself, or you have someone close to you who's experienced a significant loss, you just need to know the goal is not for the grief to stop or to end, it's just to move forward through it. John Amuchekwa says, grief doesn't expire. That once you realize this, you stop looking for the finish line, and you start embracing the fact that success isn't about finishing, it's, it's about moving forward. 
Kenneth Hawk says when people ask him, how long does grief last? His answer is just always, as long as it takes. As long as it takes. In one sense, he said, grief will always be with you. C.S. Lewis, the great thinker and apologist who lost his wife to cancer, he said, losing a loved one is, is like having a leg amputated. You don't get over an amputated leg. The wound may heal, but the leg will never grow back, and you'll always have that absence in your life, and you're always going to walk in some ways with a limp. He says, in another sense, eventually the pain subsides and memories bring more smiles than tears and the future appears more hopeful than foreboding. How long does it take to get there? Most people, when they've experienced a significant loss, will take two to three years to do the grieving they need to do. Some take less, some may take more. There's no one size fits all time frame for grief. You, you have your own personal time frame, and that's the one that matters most to you because grief is a process. It's not a race. Many people will describe grief as, as like, like waves that just, the waves of a storm that just kind of crash over you. And if you've ever gone to the ocean on one of those days where they put up the yellow flag or the red flag, meaning, you know, you can't rent the catamaran and take it out, you got to wait for calmer seas. Have you ever gone out in the ocean on those days, maybe days where they, they, they don't really want you in the water? Man, it's on those days, you've had that experience if you've been in the ocean before where a wave has hit you and, and it's knocked you off your feet and, and maybe it sent you kind of into the sand and crashed over you and as you were trying to get up and regain your feet, another one hit you and knocked you down. And if, if it's happening to you, it's not funny. If it's your friend out there, it's hilarious, especially if it's your own children. You'll really laugh watching that unfold. It's a hoot. But if it's grief, if it's the waves of grief, which feel like that, before you can regain your balance, it hits you again. It's, it's, not, it's no laughing matter. It's not funny at all. But you know, gradually, over time, the waves get a little smaller and they come further apart. And there may be those times when it occasionally batters you and maybe surprises you and catches you off guard, but it doesn't knock you off your feet, not like it did at one time. It, you catch your balance and you stay on your feet but grief simply takes time. It can't be rushed. It can't be hurried. You need to take all the time you need to let the waves come. Only as they come, lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Psalm 89.9 says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Lean into the Lord. That doesn't mean that the grief is finished or over yet, but we, we lean into the Lord. I believe it was Rick Warren who, after losing, who said this after losing his son to suicide. He goes, I, I used to try to get my life to fit back into my old one. And it took a lot of running and tears and exhaustion to figure out things don't ever go back to how they were before a big loss. And that's okay. Instead, grief gives us a new lens in which we experience the world. We, we have to grieve our old life and learn how to live in our new one. And the new lenses that we're given can only be fully experienced when we stop running from the pain and instead feel it. He said, processing grief begins with acknowledging your feelings. And it can look like therapy and finding acceptance and taking care of yourself physically and surrounding yourself with supportive community and lamenting. But life won't go back to how it was before. It's not supposed to. You're different now. 
but it can still be a full life and it can have hope and it won't feel this intense forever. And what we need to learn is that you can't get past your pain until you acknowledge it, accept it, feel it. And once you do, then you can get through it. So when you think about grief, it, it, it doesn't end. The goal is not to finish, it's, it's to get through it. Here's the second thing that I think is helpful when we are dealing with grief and helping others through grief. Grief doesn't shrink. Instead, people grow. Grief doesn't shrink, people grow. John, who I was referring to earlier, he says, grief is kind of like the halls of your elementary school. Remember when you were in elementary school, how the halls seemed so big? They just, that, that place just seems so big. And then you go back years later and you walk in and you're like, the school shrunk. You know, it's not as big as it used to be. No, it's exactly the same size as it used to be in that sense. The school didn't shrink. You, you just grew. It's kind of like, I remember in the hallway of my school growing up, our little private 1A school we were growing up, I remember that it had an eight-foot ceiling and there was the bell on the ceiling that would ring, you know, between classes. Well, as a kid going down the hallway, one of the ways that, that I kind of showed off a little bit is, is I had pretty good hops. I could jump up and touch the bell. And so I'd, you'd be going down the hall, the kids would move, and you'd go up and ding, you know, hit the bell, you know, and it'd rattle. And then you'd get in trouble after a while. That teacher's put a stop to that. But whenever you got to go to the restroom and you were coming back down the hall, you'd go ahead and jump up and hit it just to see that you could. Years later, I'm walking down that same hall and I come up to that bell and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's not even an eight foot ceiling. Bing. Then I hear from the principal's office, Bush now. No, I didn't actually, he, he didn't get on me, but it's just like, that's, it didn't shrink. I just grew. Grief is, is kind of like that. Grief is, it doesn't shrink, but you, you grow. You don't go around grief, you grow around grief. Or better yet, you grow through grief. And when you walk back or look back, there comes a time when you say, it's not as big or intimidating as I thought it was. Here's the third thing, if you're helping someone through grief, is that the only way to grow through grief is together. It's with others, it's with people. John says, the fog of grief, it looks like a solid when you come up against grief, it looks solid. It's impossible to see through. And grief has a way of convincing us that because we can't see through it, we can't step through it. In other words, grief only seems like an obstacle because it's opaque. And we imagine that we have to stop moving forward because our eyes tells us we've reached a solid wall. But it's not true. You don't need to go around it if you have somebody that can help guide you through it. We need people in our life that help us go through it. And John needed help getting through it. He said it was in that time of deep grief when everything changed. He woke up every single day without fail at 4 a.m. in the morning. He felt like his personality changed from extroverted to more isolated or introverted. He had to learn what faithfulness looks like when he's dealing with emotions that were so deep and so strong. He said, I'd never been suicidal in my whole life, but after Sam passed, I never wanted to die and go to heaven more than in those days after he passed. I was just gripped with a sense of weightiness. I felt like there was cement in my soul that just had me anchored in the ground in one place. There was no ambition, excitement, no attraction to anything except for my grief and my pain. He said, if I had to live with that grief alone, I don't know that I'd be living seven years later. He said, the only reason something redeemable came out of that was there was other people in my life 
that are even living with grief vicariously through me because grief has this nasty way of making us just feel like we are all alone. It was C.S. Lewis who once said, friendship is born at the moment one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. The only way to grow through grief is, is together. It's with other people. Romans 12 says that we're one body. As a church, we're one body. We belong to one another and we're commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn and to live in harmony with one another. We're to do this together. We're to mourn with each other side by side. You're not going to get well on your own. If you could, you would, but you don't, so you won't. And we need each other. We mourn because together because grief is healed in community. In togetherness, fellowship is what we need when we're in shock and when we're in sorrow. We need other people around us. We just don't feel like it. And so when we see someone else who's grieving and they go into isolation and they go all by themselves alone, there's, there's a sense in which we need to make sure we're available at all times to be with them, to not let them sink into loneliness. Revealing your feeling, they say, is the beginning of healing. And there's truth in that. In Galatians 6.2, it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ to love one another. That's the law. Carry each other's burdens. The, the burden of grief was never intended by God to be carried alone. We've got to carry that with each other, support one another in that. We've got to be there for each other. In fact, what I'm talking about right now is actually at the core of, of Northside's philosophy when it comes to ministry. Like we believe in every member ministry. We believe in the priesthood of all believers because that's what the Bible teaches about the body of Christ. That this concept or idea that the church is not ministering to you until the minister of the church or whoever preaches on Sunday mornings comes and ministers to you, that is not biblical. That is bad theology. It's not what God created. It's not what God intended. When you go and minister to someone else, when you go and pray with someone, when you go and sit with someone, when you show care and concern for someone, you are the church. You are the bride of Christ. You are the priest that is serving and ministering in Christ's behalf. It is not Wayne Bushnell or some other staff person that gets paid to work full-time in ministry. That, that is a job of every single person in this room. And when you do that, people are, feel loved. They feel cared for. The church is more healthy. But let's be honest. When we do that, when each and every one of us does that, when we mourn with those who mourn, when we come in and alongside people to help carry their burdens... Sometimes that can be really hard because the person you're trying to love and care for who's grieving will push you away. Sometimes you'll find it hard because hurting people will often push people away. In fact, John said that when he went through this grief with the loss of his brother and people were coming alongside him, he began to lash out at the very ones who were there helping him. His anger was towards the people who loved him and were helping him. He said there was a couple reasons for that. He said, on the one hand, it was because there, there was a brief season when everybody knew I was struggling and hurting and not in a good place. But I, I, when I was around people, would act like I was, partly because he was a minister too. And he had helped so many people through their grief, he felt like he had to have it all together. 
And so he's smiling and he's acting in ways that people know is not the reality of what he was going through. And so when they were confronting him on that because he was suppressing his grief, he said he lashed out at them. Now they're like, John, you're fighting gravity. You know, when you fight gravity, you're going to lose. And the same is with grief. You can't fight grief. You're going to lose. He says, they became the object of my wrath because when they were coming alongside me to help me, I was pushing that away. I didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want me to live as if reality was something malleable that I could bend and conform to my own will. The reality is that it was unbearable. Gravity never loses. Grief doesn't lose. They were saying, no, John, if you're on the wrong side of this fight, there's no possible scenario where you come out victorious. And he goes, funny enough, it took me fighting them and them not giving up on me and me losing to them. And it paved the way for me to surrender to grief. And in the surrendering, I saw that grief was not as opaque as I thought. The opacity got turned down and I started to see grief, not as this roadblock, but they began to help me see that it was more transparent than I thought. And he started to see a way through and a way forward. He said another reason he was pushing some of those people away from him was self-preservation because he had this feeling, if I am hurting this much with the loss of my brother, I don't want to be this close to someone else and lose them. And so he began to push them away trying to avoid the pain of future grief, keeping them at arm's length, only to come to the realization that in his effort to protect himself from future grief, all he was doing was robbing himself of present joy and ensuring a greater sense of future grief because he would live with all of that regret, the compound of regret that he didn't make the most of the time he had. He didn't build the relationships with the people and he would have all of that regret aimed at him. He goes, I felt like grief was something to run away from. But I found that it was something you lean into and you learn from. And if you're really going to lean into the bitterness of grief, only then can there be the the settled sweetness and lessons in life that extract more from life. If grief doesn't have an expiration date, if it doesn't have a finish line, then I think it's important for us as people, as friends who help one another through grief to realize that When someone's grieving, we don't create our own termination points. We don't determine when they need to get over it. We continue to commit to coming alongside and loving them through it. And we do it together. It's the only way forward is when we do it together. Here's a fourth thing I want you to know when it comes to helping people who are dealing with grief. When we run from hurting, we turn our backs on healing. When we run from hurting, we turn our backs on healing. Healing is often found in the embrace of two or more hurting people, just borrowing each other's shoulders for buckets of tears. So we need to give people permission to mourn, to cry, to grieve. Rick Warren, who had lost his son to suicide, he said it this way. He said, don't try to fix the first thing out of the gate. Just grieve. He said, you know, as parents, we sometimes get this wrong. You know, our child hurts themselves, whatever it was that caused it, and they just start crying in that moment. And what's one of the first words sometimes out of our mouth as parents when our little children hurt themselves? Oh, don't cry. He said, in saying don't cry, it's almost as if we're saying we care more about you not crying than we do about your pain or about comforting you. 
He said, crying is a natural response to pain. It should be encouraged, not discouraged. Don't tell our children, don't cry. Instead, when we do, we're teaching them to stuff it. Let them cry as much as they need to cry. When someone goes through loss or grief, let them cry as long as they need to cry. Crying doesn't make the pain worse. Trying to stuff it makes it worse. Another thing that Rick said that I thought was really helpful was this. He says, share, share grief, don't compare grief. Share your experiences with grief, with those who are grieving, but don't compare grief. After Rick Warren's 27-year-old son who battled mental illness for most of his life, after he lost his life to suicide, Rick said people were coming up to him in the four months after it happened. and They'd say, I'm so sorry, and I know how you feel. Or they may, might say, I, I know what it's like. And then tell their own story. Maybe they lost a grandfather, or they lost a son, or maybe they even lost someone to suicide. And Rick, who had been through this grieving process, just said, don't say you know what it's like. And don't say, you know, I know how you feel. He said, because even if you've had a similar type of loss, it's, it's different. That comparing never helps. Even if you lost a mother and someone else lost a mother, they are different relationships. There's different dynamics. And so comparing your pain to someone else's, it never helps anybody in their pain. So don't say, I know how you feel, even if you think you know how they feel. Even members of the same family who are grieving the same loss, they they just many times don't grieve in the same way. It's just different. Kevin Hawk talks about how for one young man, he had lost his his brother that he was really close to and, and his mom who just grieved very differently than he grieved and and was more vocal than he was. She felt like he wasn't grieving enough after his brother died and wasn't showing the same intensity of emotions that she was. And she was concerned that he didn't love his brother enough. That's how she interpreted that. You, just, you, didn't, you don't love your brother enough. And Well, that just caused a whole other layer of hurt and pain for her own son who had lost his brother. He just said, my grief was just different from hers. So share. Don't compare. Sharing about grief is helpful. I mean, if someone's lost someone and you talk about the things you struggle with when you lost someone, that actually is helpful, that you, you hurt like they hurt, that you struggle with things like they're struggling with things. And so sharing is good. Sharing is good. Comparing is not good. Let me give you a few other just really quick rapid-fire guidelines for helping people who've experienced loss and they're experiencing grief. And the reason we're, we're doing this today is because we do not want to be like the friends of Job. If you ever read the book of Job and you listen to his friends who are trying to explain why he's suffering and all of his grief, it wasn't helpful. In fact, in Job 16 verse 2, here's what Job says about his friends. You are miserable comforters, all of you. That's his words to his friends. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Well, I don't want to be that. I want to be a part of of a ministry of understanding, a ministry of caring, a ministry of help. And I think the things we've talked about today certainly can do that. Here's a few other things really quick. Do not say, you must go on with your life. 
when a death has occurred, grief doesn't follow a timeline. Not everyone grieves the same. You know, if someone's lost a baby, realize that child can never be replaced, even by future children or, or the children they already have. They're going to grieve that for many years. Don't say it was for the best. Or no doubt you were spared from worse problems. It's not comforting. It's speculation. And moreover, sometimes it seems to say that it was good that evil happened. Don't say God took a person because he needed him or her in heaven. First of all, God doesn't need us. He created us. And, but oftentimes that just creates images of God in people's minds, especially even of children's minds, that, that, that God needed them. And, but he doesn't care about what you need. When a child's lost a parent, and it seems like they could sure use that parent in their life. Instead of asking, how are you? Maybe a better question could be, how do you feel? Or how do you feel physically? Being a listener and offering a shoulder, not lecture or advice, is more helpful. In fact, it's helpful sometimes just to admit, you don't know how they feel. You can't imagine how they feel. Giving affection and hugs is appropriate. Providing meals, going shopping for them, doing lawn work, cleaning their house can be helpful because during loss, a lot of people don't have the energy to do other things. Remembering anniversary dates when someone's lost their loved one or a mom or a dad and reaching out at those times can be very helpful. And let me also just say this, something you can do, something you should do, share scripture. Share scripture. Grief comes like waves in the ocean and there's going to be stormy times and there will be calm times and grief is going to come and it's going to go. And the word of God can minister in both those ebbs and flows of grief. I want us to read together a psalm. In fact, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet for just a moment as we read this psalm together. This is Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11. For the reading of God's word today, we're just going to let him speak into to this. And as the psalmist here in Psalm 42 gives this psalm of lament to the Lord. And I want us just to think about some things from this psalm that could be helpful to us as we reflect on grief. The psalmist says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Ever felt like that during a season of grief? God, where are you? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why my soul are you downcast. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the mount, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, 
Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Lord, I pray that your word would minister to our hearts and our minds that in moments of grief, stress, depression, pain, confusion, and trouble, Lord, I pray that we would remember, remember these moments when you are with us, that Lord, in these, we would remember that you are our hope and salvation that we would remember where we can go to find strength and encouragement in the assembly of your people. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to your presence and the way through this fog of grief. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And You know, we read this psalm together and it's just obvious the psalmist is down, depressed, troubled, waves crashing over him. He describes it as a waterfall that's just pouring down on him. And then he talks about one wave crashing after another. That's the way pain and grief can feel. Deep calling to deep coming over him. He's overwhelmed like a flood. So what does he do? He prays. He cries out to the Lord. He pours his soul out to God. This is what lament is. It's complaining to God. And he does that. Why, God, have you forgotten me, forsaken me? Why, soul, are you so downcast? There's got to be times when you're dealing with grief. You're just like, why is this so bad? Why am I so down? And in that moment, he proclaims to his soul. It's like he's preaching to his soul. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. My Savior, my God, he's remembering who God is to him. And David doesn't give in, or this psalmist, not just David, but the psalmist doesn't give in to fatalism and doubt. He, he seeks God. He says, remember, in other words, interpret what you don't know in light of what you do know about God. This may be confusing right now. You don't understand it and you don't know. Well, interpret that in light of what you do know about God. Put your hope in him. And this psalmist even realizes part of his problem is he's been hindered from entering into the sanctuary of the Lord. I don't know what all hindered him from being able to do it, but that means he hasn't been with God's people and he hasn't been in the place where he worshiped God with those people. And because of that, it contributed to his being downcast and being stuck. But he remembers what that was like when he could praise God from that place, the sanctuary with God's people. I think it's a good word for us too that when we are in pain and suffering and grief, we want to just withdraw into isolation. This is not the time to withdraw. It's the time to enter in with people in the Lord's presence so that these people can help lead us through this fog of grief that's so opaque so we can begin to see a way through to the other side. 
Psalm chapter 42 and Psalm 43 in your Bible are virtually, the, it, it really is the same lament. It, it doesn't really stop and one end and one begin. It was all one in the original scriptures, not like the chapters that are now broken up in our Bibles today. So Psalm 43 carries on this same word. Psalm 43.3 says, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. The, the psalmist is asking God to bring light to his eyes. That means understanding and life so that God can lead him through his pain and hurt. The psalmist says, send me light, but also send me faithful care. God, remind me this moment that you care for me and that your light will lead me and it will bring me to a place where you dwell. He longs to be with the Lord. He longs to be brought through that darkness into the light. And then Psalm 43 concludes the same way that Psalm 42 does, just like this. He says this, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When you look back and remember, then you can look forward with hope. And that's the final thing I just want to say is when grieving, put your hope in God. Tim Keller is a pastor, author, one of the great apologists of our day. He announced that he had pancreatic cancer back in 2020. He died just over two weeks ago, May 19th, at 72 years of age. We lost one of the great thinkers and minds in Christianity today. Here's what Tim Keller said to the New York Times. He said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if it actually happened, then there's all the hope in the world. And Tim Keller was banking on the fact that it happened. And Tim Keller lived a majority of his life giving evidence to others on why it happened, how it happened, the fact that it happened, the truth that it happened. And here's what Tim Keller also said. He said, I can feel hopeless. My feelings are real. I can feel hopeless. My feelings are real. My tense shoulders and sheets watered by night sweats prove it. But he said, I can never be hopeless. If there's life after this one, my feelings aren't reality. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. David would say it this way. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In other words, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that you can trust him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you can put your hope in him. Because of the resurrection of, of Jesus, those feelings of hopelessness, that's not reality because we're not hopeless. We have hope. We have hope today. We have 
hope tomorrow. We have hope for the future. It never goes away. We're about to sing a song that one of the first lines in this song says, you make it easy to trust you. Maybe that's why David said, remember. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has done in the past because there will come days when it does not feel easy to trust him. But if you would remember and look back to what God has done in your life and what God has brought you through and how God acted and what God has done throughout history and how God saved you and how God has blessed you and how God has filled you and how God has given you wisdom and life and peace and joy. It's in the remembering that he makes it easy for us to trust him so that we can trust him for the future no matter what comes. He gives peace to those who trust him. I think that's important. He's never left your side. He's the faithful one. He's the refuge that you run to. He's the fire that leads you through the night. When everything goes dark, he's the light that the psalmist is praying for, that you would give light to light my way. There's nothing to fear for you are by my side. I'll follow you anywhere. Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you. And that's our prayer today is that he would give light to our eyes to lead us through, not just so that we get over grief. We're not gonna get over it, but we're gonna get through it because our ultimate goal is to get to him, to pursue him, to be with him, to know him, to live forever with him in a place where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more mourning, where if a tear comes to your eye, he's there to wipe it away and bring you life everlasting. This is our goal, to get through to him. So make that the prayer of your heart today. And look, maybe today for you, the light that Jesus is bringing to your eyes is that you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, just like we saw today with with four of our students in this baptistry. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do today. We wanna invite you to respond. I would love to meet you at Decision Point right over here to your right out these double doors. I'm gonna go through in a moment. I'd love to pray and talk with you there. I also want you to know our prayer team's here today and they're here to pray with you. And you may be dealing with loss and grief and need light for your way. You may be feel like the, the grief is this fog so opaque you can't see through it. You just need the opacity turned down a little. You need God to give light to your eyes. Go pray with someone today. Allow this team to intercede for you and pray perhaps for a friend. And so they're gonna be here at the sides of the room and they'd love to pray with you today. And after we sing this song of trust in the Lord, as you leave, use this opportunity to give as an act of worship to the Lord today. In fact, a portion of what you give goes to send our kids to camp. We, we got hundreds of more to go to camp. We have over 500 going to camp this year. And so far about, you know, a little over 200 have gone. We got well over half to go. So I just want to encourage you today to give generously to the Lord as you leave and let God continue to do a good work in people's lives as he changes them. So as we stand to our feet, let's sing together right now and express our trust in the Lord as you do. And I'll meet you right over here. 
Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.